Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. Thanks for tuning in. This week, an explosion at the smuggler mine rocks the town. After getting no response on the state level to require visitors to have negative COVID tests before coming to Colorado, Picking County takes matters into their own hands. And a longtime restaurant is out as a new concept comes in, in the ever-changing COVID-19 economic climate. That and more coming up on The Upload. Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you're well. In order to fill us in on all that has happened this week, I'm joined by our editor, Megan Tackett. Megan, hi. Thanks so much for coming on this week. Thanks for having me. As you do every week, of course. And reporter, (laughs) Matthew Bennett. (laughs) Hi, Matthew. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, So I don't know how else to put this. You know, it's a bad year when there's a literal explosion in your town and it gets like a little bit of copy on a Monday. And here we are talking on Friday. And I almost forgot that literally all of Aspen was jarred physically by an explosion that happened Saturday morning. Those who were out and about witnessed flames and smoke coming from the smuggler trailhead, smuggler mine area. Um, but then it, it, over time, we figured out what was happening. I kind of love the, the behind the curtain breaking news stuff, Megan. <laughs> so I might start with that. Like the text, you know, as reporters, when something happens, everyone who knows your reporter will contact you before any, anyone else. So the texts were coming in. What was it? What was it? I heard it was an airplane crash and, and we're used to hearing like an avalanche bomb maybe around that time, but it was in the wrong part of town. Like, I think it really, again, a pun intended, I guess, jarred the community. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting actually. I think because I got a text message early Saturday morning from a first responder telling me the small aircraft rumor, right. And the rumor was that a small aircraft had crashed into smuggler mountain and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And then in that moment, I saw that text, couldn't even really respond, hadn't had my coffee yet. We all know me pre-coffee is worthless. (laughs) And meanwhile, I'm on the phone with Erica Robbie, our reporter about local magazine, totally different conversation. She lives over in Centennial. And immediately I get this text. I'm like, whatever, I'll deal with this later. I'm talking to Erica. And then all of a sudden she cuts off our conversation and says to me, Um, Megan, I don't know how else to put this, but like an explosion just happened. I think I should go over and check this out for you. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, is that the small plane? Wait, what's happening? So then I let her go. I called dispatch. This is about 915 in the morning. All of this happens in about seven minutes. I called dispatch. Dispatch is like, you can hear the annoyance in the voice and they are usually so patient. And I just think that everyone over there are absolute saints. Um, And so for them to let that facade of absolute calm slip was really reflective to me of just how inundated they had been. And finally a woman gets on, she goes, Megan, I am so sorry. We have no idea. We've been swamped with 911 calls. It's just happened in the last few minutes. All I can tell you is that Aspen Fire is over there investigating, but we have absolutely no idea what's going on, which is not typical. Usually they can give you (laughs) some sort of at least off the record background, but they were really flustered. Um, 
And what was surprising to me, of course, was there was no small aircraft. Uh, that became evident to the first responders as well, simply because the smoke cleared too quickly, right? Okay. It really obvious it was, a, it was a singular incident of an explosion because if there had still been a smoking plane with debris, then the smoke would have continued, right? Oh, uh, which, yeah, which I thought was interesting. Uh, so then it became evident that there, it was mine operations and in Smuggler Mine. And so that's actually a story that I'm looking forward to following up on because my first question was, wait a minute, they're still using explosives in Smuggler Mine? <laughs> I did not realize that. Neither did some of my first responder friends that I was speaking with about it after the fact. So to me, I think there's still a much bigger follow there. I think it, you know, we all know of Smuggler Mine as, you know, yes, it's still active, but you can do smuggler mine tours. It's part yeah. of our tourism economy. There's smuggler trail. It's an ode to the history of the silver mining that, you know, kind of put Aspen on the map in a lot of ways. Um, I actually don't really know personally. I mean, chime in if you do. I don't really know what exactly does smuggler mine do for mining right now? Like what's the actual output? What's the market? I'm curious. So to me, there's like this invitation of a follow of, wait a minute, what's this thing that we take for granted doing right now? I think you're right um, that, you know, it has that license as a tourism spot, like part of why I think they actually do have to actively still be clearing things, um, which is what went awry while they were trying to kind of bust out the, the tunnels, right, this weekend um, is because members of the public are allowed to go in and, and see it. I cannot wait for your story to come out because I'm pretty sure um, that this is not untrue, which is not how a reporter should start. <laughs> more rumors but I think there's duct work like tunnel work from the mine into town if not all the way to Aspen Mountain um and so like we I feel like we got off scot-free besides literally scaring the entire public I mean people in the core too their their windows also rattled you know it, it really um it sh shook the town but um like if there's if there's underlying catacomb kind of infrastructure of the mine, that could have gone really far. That that explosion could have happened not on site. Um, so I can't wait for you to correct me if I'm wrong about that, or, or give some more of the of the history um, and and the presence. You're right. We don't think of us of, of having an active mine still here um, at Smuggler, and I believe still some on Aspen Mountain as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I completely agree, Allison. It was so dramatic. Um, I had some so many photos coming in, but there was one reader in particular who emailed me. She lives up above it. So um, her name's Tamsin Pargeter, but she emailed me some just really dramatic shots. I mean, you had a mini mushroom cloud over Aspen. Um, and I mean, I, I was floored looking at him. And then to realize after the fact that there were no injuries, yeah, no damage reported to any property anywhere. I mean, that's a sm that's the small miracle of 2020. <laughs> it's astounding. And you know what's funny? Because um, the next thing we're going to talk about is visitors, and this actually did occur over Thanksgiving weekend, right? It's like holiday weekend. Anyone who decided not to go do a big family thing and just bring their you know internal family unit to a, a quiet Aspen Thanksgiving opening weekend on the slopes and everything got um, rattled too so I wonder what's worse Matt if we should um just just bomb the town every once in a while to make the visitors stay away and comply or if we should go through with this visitor affidavit that we both reported on this week yeah it's um you know things are really starting to 
to kick up. And that, that was a really, I, I thought you said it really well, Allison, that, you know, 2020, you know, you have an explosion practically and it's, we forget about it on this, but um, yeah. And Megan, I think that's a great story. I can't wait for that to come out too, but yeah, you know, and they're going to talk about this affidavit more today. Um, we're still trying to get our hands on exactly what it's going to look like and um, what enforcement's going to look like, but it's, it's going to be tricky. And, um, you know, you've seen some places do this though. You've seen Hawaii do it, you know, you've seen Maine do it and you've seen how invaluable it's been, particularly in Maine. They had the lowest, I believe, percent positivity rate at 0.6 when they enacted this. And then Hawaii, they said uh, research out of the University of Hawaii, it was um, these kind of restrictions. They were saying for 6,000 daily visitors of those by doing these type of travel restrictions, you'd go from 1,125 infections per those 6,000 to just 150. And if you multiply that, um, but it's interesting to, to see other areas of the country kind of mirroring a similar thing and having already done it. And in some ways it's like marijuana. There's kind of this wait and see attitude a lot of the states <laughs> took, right? And now they're like, oh, we all want to do this, right? You're <laughs> totally right. And yeah. I want to get into like how this might affect the economy, just like obviously some states are jumping on the pot train because of the taxes yeah. that come in. But, yeah. and, and I, we have some details about what our local visitor affidavit is going to look like. We'll get into that. I want to point out from your story, the, the hope was that the state of Colorado was going to do this, just like mm. other states have done this, that Jared Polis, our governor, and the CDPHE, our health team, um, would make it a statewide thing. I think that has a little more um, force behind it. You can enforce that at places like DIA, you know, like big um, entrances into the state saying we don't want anyone here who can't show that they've had a negative COVID-19 test. And so the county commissioners and, and other public officials here have asked the state, hey, get on this. And, and then what's been the result of that? Right, they've asked them um, quite a few times uh, actually. And it was funny because Commissioner Greg Postman the other day, he, he clarified what he really meant, but he at some point said, are writing these letters just the definition of insanity, you know, like <laughs> and, I, and And again, he was, he even, you know, wanted that to be not taken out of context. So I want to be careful, but he, he makes a good point. And, you know, in September, that was when they first sent the governor this letter um, saying, can you please do these statewide restrictions or, and they, they got a response back and it was about a couple of weeks later. And it basically just said the five commitments of containment. So it was really just a form letter, if anything. Um, and then they sent this letter again last Friday and they still have not got a response. And, um, you know, basically they're saying the governor has to look at the entire state, you know, he can't, and what, what works, you know, maybe in Aspen might not work even just down the road, as we've seen in Garfield County and in places like that, um, whether it works or not, I shouldn't say, but just the enforcement, you know, you're seeing very different rules, um, literally driving across County lines. And I think if anything, it's causing a lot of confusion, um, and frankly, some of the county commissioners um, in other counties are spreading misinformation. Yeah, you mentioned um, Hawaii, Matt, and you know, whenever we talk about the affidavits and everything, enforcement is always the question that comes up over and over. If it was statewide, it would be very enforceable. Yeah. So we did learn a little bit more this week with a joint session between um, Aspen City Council and the Picking County Board of C County Commissioners um, about some of the, that enforcement side of things, because that's the real question, right? We know this affidavit is going to be five pages long. 
we know that the crux of it is that you need to show that you've um, had a negative test within 72 hours of arriving to the county or because they can't turn you around. We know that or agree to quarantine for 14 days or until such time that you have gotten a test here that shows that you're negative. That brings up a lot of questions for me because we've already felt like the local population doesn't have access to testing, right? And now we're saying, hey, visitors come and use our free testing sites so that you get a ski. I mean, that's uh, that decision of, but you can also like, you might have COVID, come on into our community, stand in line for our free tests and show us that you do. I mean, there's a, I don't know that it's that well thought out and we will get some more information about it this, this afternoon in a press briefing. The turnaround times on those tests are, are still abysmal. I, like since we've been talking, a friend of mine who's a business owner who is waiting on her test, it's been over 72 hours and still nothing. And she's not sure if she can go back to her business premises. I, I do think they're delayed. Um, when I was standing outside the, the booth outside of City Hall on Monday, um, I heard a woman complaining to the healthcare attendant there about how long it's been. And they're just, they don't do, they don't do the tests on weekends, which I didn't know. So you're getting your test on Friday, you're already waiting, you know, 72 hours, best case scenario, if they get it to you on Monday um, and then with the holiday and stuff, but people were still testing, even though the tests weren't being processed. So now we're in this backlog, you're right, where it's not as effective um, if you don't find out right away. Uh, we do know that there's legal ramifications if, if like you could owe money, if it is found that you're one of these cases where you've brought COVID to the community. Um, I do hope tonight they, they talk a little bit more about how, what the charges, like what's, what, how do you put a price on that and how they would go after it. But as we said last week, a legal affidavit means you are agreeing to this. So I do think there's a little bit of power behind like, well, you signed the paper. Um, they're also talking about doing random stops. And I have no idea how they're going to go about this. You're going to walk into a restaurant and say, raise your hand if you're a tourist, show us your negative COVID-19 test. Like you always have to have that on you, but that's the idea. Like random stops um, because the affidavit doesn't say, show us your negative COVID test. The affidavit says you are agreeing to have this done. So you actually never have to show the negative test unless I guess you are the cause of um, a mass breakout and or randomly stopped. I thought that was great how you, I, I believe y'all brought, I can't remember if it was you, Allison, or Megan, maybe it was both y'all, but last week you said, and it was fascinating to me, I was thinking about it a lot, that when you sign a legal document, that's like another ball game. That's like, you know, okay, I'm giving away my kid. Okay, I'm ending a marriage. Okay. And I think there is this sort of psychological weight to that. And this is the first time I think we're seeing where, yeah, you know, as you point out, I don't think you're going to see these random raids of restaurants. But for the first time, I think you're seeing uh, where personal responsibility is meeting sort of these um, laws they're making that have no teeth. And that, yeah, when you sign that, it is a legal document. It's 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 almost like it's it's not just yeah what you're saying anymore. It's like no, look, you have that signature here. So I think that in and of itself has quite a bit of teeth and just. Really right. Sad. And, you know, yeah. Allison, to your point in terms of what kind of fines could they, you know, put or whatever, because I mean, misdemeanor, reckless endangerment, there's statute on the books for Colorado law. Okay. Here's the presumptive range of penalties and here's how your fines can fall. Wow. And I mean, that could create a framework ostensibly. County manager, John Peacock did say too, like most people actually arrive to Pickens County via car, even in the winter. Um, 
So we're not going to, I just don't, we're not going to catch them all. He said, it's going to be a net. It's not going to be a perfect net because like, are we going to start, um, like, what's the word? Like when you look at someone and you're guessing if they're a visitor or not, just by how they look, are we going to start stereotyping people and, and saying like, Hey, you, you didn't fill out your affidavit, go do it. Like, how will we know which visitors that are walking around the mall have, or haven't signed their paper that I, it's going to get a little bit, um, combative, I think, between the, the two sectors of people who are required to do this and aren't, because no one in the Roaring Fork Valley is required to do this. If you live in Garfield and Eagle, even if you're coming up to stay with your friends and, and picking for a couple nights, you don't have to sign this. It's just if you're coming from outside of those three counties. Um, I am curious what you guys think then about Governor Polis's motivation for not doing this statewide. I'm wondering if it is a, a way, if he's afraid it's going to dissuade guests. And of course, our ski economy, our winter economy relies on outside visitors. Um, and if you say, Hey, I can go to Utah without any of these provisions, um, or I have to go find a test, pay for it, whatever, sign all these things that I don't feel like promising, then, then wouldn't you go to a different state? So is he doing this just so that we stay open? Is that a good idea? And then we'll pick in County lose out on visitors because people don't want to promise these things and they can go to go ski veil instead. Well, not without a reservation, they can't ski veil. So we've got that <laughs> going for us right now. <laughs> Great point. Um, no, I mean, I, my father is particularly high risk, right? So he's truly been, my, my parents have been hunkered down quarantine style through all of this for 10 months, really. And um, so his, his TV consumption has uh, ticked up considerably. I was shocked. He's in Ohio. I was on the phone with him the other day and I was shocked to learn. He said he can't turn on the TV in Ohio without seeing a visit Colorado ad. Like oh. they are, they are advertising to the Midwest to come visit Colorado and doing so aggressively, apparently. Um, so, you know, I can't speculate. I, I, as I about, as I prepare to speculate, <laughs> but, but you know, Polis, Polis is a businessman first and foremost, you know, he's got a venture capital background with tech stars. He's a bolder guy. And he, I think that he, his ear is particularly open to the business community. And right now, you know, we, I mean, Matt, you were writing about actual literal casualties in today's newspaper, but the most recent casualties that we've been writing about until your article on those Garfield County deaths have been the casualties of businesses hmm. with the Red Onion closing and, you know, Woody Creek Tavern owners having to change hands due to forced early retirement, you know, so I think he's particularly sympathetic to that and hyper aware of that and wants to maintain his good standing with the business community. He doesn't want to be the governor that shut down the whole economy. That's my speculation. I don't know, Matt, I'm so curious because I know you've been dealing with the state more than I have lately. Yeah. And you know, you're right. He's definitely a businessman. He was one of the richest people in Congress. And I think people forget about that. Frankly, um, they see this, you know, people's Republic of Boulder type governor, you know, but he, he has more business. Um, I think you're absolutely right, Megan, year out there than just a lot of his progressive front range base. And I think not to give him too much credit, you know, maybe what, what works in Denver doesn't work in rifle. Maybe what works in Aspen certainly doesn't work in rifle. Um, and there's so many different regions you know it's is it the one size fits all and 
I think, frankly, he, he wants to put these decisions on local authorities, but a lot of these local authorities are just not stepping up to the plate. Um, when you have, you know, small town mayors who are the ones making the most noise, you can't help but wonder. And you, you saw this letter of all the front range mayors that was sent to the governor saying, please, you know, do more. And um, when that leadership transitioned from the federal to the state, I think that's when he he missed the uh, missed the boat because you're seeing the numbers now. Um, yeah, that's the reality. Uh, to point out, uh, Governor Polis does have COVID-19 as of this week. So I wonder um, if he'll be quiet for a little while while he's suffering through that. Um, of course, best wishes. What do you think, Matt, about picking county? Like, are they going to be able to market themselves as the safe? Because this is the only county in the entire state that is requiring this affidavit from visitors. So are we going to be able to say we are guaranteed the most safe place for you to come because no one here is traveling with COVID-19? They're, they're not bringing it to our community? Or are is it too many, you know, five pages? Is it too many hoops to jump through and people aren't going to aren't going to be spending their money here this winter? It's fascinating, Megan, too, that you said that they were marketing Colorado because I've seen those ads here marketing South Dakota. So I'm wondering if they're <laughs> rearrange the whole country's population Mix yeah it, all it was up. really fascinating it was you know they're basically saying without saying come here we have a lot of open space and you can do whatever you want pretty much um but i think it that is a great question allison because who wants to sign a five-page document when they're going to you know you want to eat a beet and cheese or yeah. you know do your thing and it's like as far as safety i just I think it's irrational to think that this is going to prevent COVID from making it to the community. And if you're a visitor who thinks, you know, this is going to make things more safe for you, I, I just think that is a little bit of um, wishful thinking, frankly, because we've seen these latest restrictions go in and the cases are still rising. And I think no matter what's done, um, you know, they're talking about this third wave not peaking till January. Wow. and I think all these things I'm not advocating for less is more this and that, you know, I think they're taking proactive measures and good for them for that. But realistically it's COVID's here. And, you know, I think it comes down again to that just personal responsibility. You can sign a five page document and you could still be lying through your teeth on right. it. You know, if you're. Well, the other thing, like the, the other side of that is like me trying to be like goody miss two shoes. Is that how you say that? Um, <laughs> and, and follow all the rules. I'm, I'll be, you know, grabbing the paper tomorrow morning to, to read your article, Matthew, because it depends on what's in there because I want to do all the right things. I think I would be scared to sign it knowing that like how much trouble I could get in. So like, it's just, can I promise that I will not, like you said, like run into someone in the grocery who gets me sick. And then I get this person sick. Who's in you know the Ajax chair left in front of me, like depending on what it's asking of the public, it's just a scary thing to sign because there are ramifications. You might do jail time if you yeah. fuck it up. And so wouldn't you be nervous to sign that and just wanna go somewhere where you didn't have to deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I can't help but think like, will some people go to sunlight instead of- It's gonna be <laughs> the year for sunlight. Things, right? It's Cheaper like, left tickets. Yeah. yeah, half the price. And I don't have to sign this thing, but no, um, it'll be fascinating. I think to see, because you might see the very opposite, you know, maybe people will feel safer and they will want to get out and they will want to ski. And it's like, they really admire what Aspen's doing and how they are taking the lead. 
even though they might be getting a near full. But um, Megan, you what you said earlier really hit me hard because that you know we're talking about casualties of businesses, you know, and livelihoods, and you know the red onion. You know, it's one thing if a Chili's closes, but it's another thing if a small business that has put their heart and soul. Uh, that just sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's definitely hard. It's definitely hard. But I mean, at the same time, you wrote about you know, there's actual lives too <laughs> that are are on the line and being lost. And I just part of me is listening to us talk about you know, will they or won't they come based off of an affidavit? And there's this little voice in me that is screaming, this is insane. Why are we even talking about people visiting? You know, you've got, you've got the mayor of LA begging people saying, cancel everything, hunker down. Los Angeles is on track to run out of hospital beds by Christmas. This is not some small little Mesa County when there are only four or so beds available anyway, right? This is one of the largest metropolitan areas in our country. And we are, they're, they're on track to be out of hospital beds by Christmas. That's crazy to me. And then they're all going to come here. Really? <laughs> like, so there's, there is part of me that's like, yes, my heart is breaking. And I say that full disclosure, I am thrilled about my 9 PM Nakazawa reservations tonight after I put this, the paper to bed. So yes, I want to support, you know, the businesses. And I think that as far as you know, which counties are doing it safely versus not. I think Picking County is about as safe as it gets. Um, and so I absolutely want to support our, our local businesses and our local economies. But by the same token, the idea of bracing for a tourism season this winter when the headlines are so dire across the rest of the country, and that's from where all of the, these people come, part of me is very, very worried. It would take very little to overwhelm our healthcare system. Thanks for keeping that in perspective for us, Megan. Um, you, you did mention the other article. So we ran the article this week that the Red Onion Bar is closing. I mean, I think that hits hard because that's a historic building. That property has been um, a place to drink, if not also um, get a prostitute for its entire <laughs> its entire existence, right? So um, that this is what does it in, like through every war, through every you know, we had a Spanish flu since it's been open, right? Like through everything, um, this is what's going to do it in. And, and again, we of course hope it's temporary, but the red onion will not be open this winter. Um, they blamed it on these space capacities. You know, it's, it's the kind of bar where you saddle up, you, you want to bump into everyone, you know, there. And so having 25% capacity, it, it, they just can't make the, the money work for, for lease terms and income in, and then you report on a brand new restaurant opening and it's, you know, fa super fancy, like scored this huge chef, um, you know, internationally known because of the, the documentary that he was in. Also, um, they found each other through Instagram, like a, a Hail Mary. Hey, do you want to come open a restaurant in Aspen Instagram post? Yeah, basically. And it was so funny when I was talking to Nakazawa about it. Um, he was laughing. He said that that's actually not even outside his norm. He said his last business partnership came from Facebook. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Here's this Michelin star winning, you know, New York City based uh, sushi restaurateur who also, you know, has a location in DC. Um, and then he was looking at, speaking of Los Angeles, opening a location in LA and then the pandemic hit and he 
changed course. He wasn't going to do that anymore. And through some sort of Instagram post, Ryan Chadwick saw it. And, you know, Ryan's also a New York guy. And exactly, Hail Mary said, you know, why not? Crazier things have happened this year. And sent an instant, he had worked out another uh, year extension on his lease in that Mr. Gray space, wanted to try a new concept. Um, and yeah, sent a, a slid right into those DMs, as it were. <laughs> So did you ask, I mean, it, it's so exciting, right? To have this level of, of, um, chef come and to have a pop-up in, in a local corner. Um, did you ask either one of them? Like, well, you're putting so much into opening something that might get shut down, you know, because not of your own accord, like it might get ordered to get shut down, or you might have to shut down because with only 25% capacity, how are you going to make a brand new restaurant work? Like, are they, are they going into this blind? Do they have a, a backup plan? So I think the hope, right, is, is yeah, they absolutely are, are just clinging to optimism. I will put it that way for sure. <laughs> um, in that they'll be able to stay open at all. Okay. I think that in terms of the 25% capacity, um, you know, yes, as you said, it, it can be crazy fancy, right? Uh, at the bar, the, the seating is nothing but chef's choice only. And so you pay for this chef's dinner and you don't really know what you're going to get. And I personally love that. Um, versus if you're in the like kind of closed, like enclosed patio area, um, that's kind of where, where, you know, newspaper folk like, like yours truly can afford to go because you actually don't even have access to that. It's just uh, an a la carte style appetizer mix and match kind of thing that you're ordering. And Ryan, when I was talking to him said, he was like, yeah, I understand, you know, people can't come in and spend hundreds of dollars on dinner like every night and not everybody can do that. So he wanted to make sure that it was accessible for locals. But I also have a feeling that if they're down to 25% capacity, the New Yorkers of the world who are of those means who are visiting are absolutely they're 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 at least hedging their bets that they're going to be the restaurant that those tourists are going to go to and that chef's dinner probably has a price point that even at 25% capacity will at least make rent. <laughs> I suppose it doesn't matter if you're down to 25%, if your meals are four times as expensive as they were at the same location last year. Exactly. <laughs> Matthew Bennett, Megan Tackett, thank you so much for joining me on the upload this week. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the upload. I'm your host and producer, Allison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do you want to be on the show? Do you have thoughts that you want to pass along? Write to me at upload at aspendailynews.com. Thank you to Megan Tackett and Matthew Bennett for being on the show today. This is the Upload Podcast from the Aspen Daily News. Listen, discuss, decide. Decide.